Welcome to the Chair Yoga Podcast with me, Maria Jones. Knowledge and inspiration for teaching and practicing chair-based yoga. The Chair Yoga Podcast is sponsored by the Chair Yoga Handbook, the only book you'll ever need to teach chair yoga. Get your copy on Amazon now. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Chair Yoga Podcast. Today it is just me and it is a special episode about systemic lupus. As we come to the end of October, which is Lupus Awareness Month here in the United Kingdom, I wanted to record an episode specifically for systemic lupus because I have been living with systemic lupus for a very long time and it is in fact what led me to start teaching yoga myself. So what I will do for this episode is to go through the same questions I would go through with my guests and expand on them as much as possible. So if you have any questions, do not hesitate to get in touch. So let's begin. The first question I would normally ask my guests is what brought you into the space of teaching yoga and why? And although there is a episode that specifically talks about this one, I wanted to go back to the reasons why I practice and teach yoga. I was diagnosed with systemic lupus in 2004 and It was a long journey diagnosis, about a year, which is in fact quite short for people who suffer with systemic lupus. It normally takes an average of five years to be diagnosed with systemic lupus or even more. So my diagnosis led me to receiving lots and lots of treatment And of course, I had already been feeling pretty rubbish. Over the years, the ups and downs of my health resulted in me not being able to do exercise on the same level. So I was drawn to more gentle practices, things like body balance or yoga. And I really enjoyed them because I was able to keep up. I was able to enjoy them and not feel worse after I have done them. So my practice grew from there into a more meditative practice. In fact, my condition worsened over the years and the spaces were not 100% suitable for me what I would find was my typical attendance to vinyasa or body balance classes would make me feel worse. And I had not quite found the right teacher for gentler yoga classes in my area. Neither did I have the tendency to go and find one because where I live, it costs about 12 pounds to attend a yoga class on its own. And It was that cost that put me off into finding more spaces in which maybe there would be a suitable practice for me. But not finding that in my gym and where I used to go and practice yoga in general 
meant that I had to develop my very own practice and led me to something of my own. I created something of my own that I could do on a daily basis. And it was a good thing. Over time, I wanted to know more and more about yoga. And I realized that, in fact, it was more of a meditative practice. It was more of a reflection practice. And because of that, I regressed away from the physical aspect of yoga to a more meditative, more reflective part of yoga until my transplant in 2014, which went very well. And it meant that I could return to more physical activities, to more physical practices of yoga. But even then, I really didn't want to. My fitness wasn't quite there. And I also found that if I wanted movement and if I wanted to work up a sweat, I was better off attending an exercise class. While in fact, I needed yoga for the mindset. I needed yoga for other aspects of my being, my energetic being, my trauma, having gone through such big transformations from being diagnosed to receiving the kidney, that period of time had been quite intense. Having had a baby and seeing my condition regress, seeing my career disappear as an engineer initially, going back to uni, all those things played a big role in my mindset and I had to deal with that and process that. So yoga helped me process that, but it also helped me stay flexible, mobile, healthy enough to return to exercise when I needed to after my transplant. And I wanted to keep that separate, that part where it was more of a meditative practice, where it was more of something to keep my joints supple and flexible. I had my own way of practicing and it was significantly less active than that than the practices offered in my local gym, in the gym that I went to. So because of that, I really appreciated the teacher training that I did. I really appreciated finding my own path through my teacher training. It led me into where I am now, into more therapeutic practices, into more gentle practices, into practices that suit people exactly like me, whether they're experiencing a flare or whether they are fit and healthy because being chronically awesome has these ups and downs. But anyway, I'm carrying on a bit and this is what brought me into that space of teaching yoga. I couldn't initially find spaces where I could practice yoga and I had to develop my own practice, which led me into into wanting to know more about yoga, into wanting to keep that meditative aspect of the practice, which wasn't really available in the general stream of yoga and to wanted to make it this reflective journey. And of course, there was a really big need inside of me to help others in my condition. Others with systemic lupus, maybe fibromyalgia, maybe people with arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, maybe people with MS, which is what I have been doing. But it was this that led me to that. I didn't feel that there was 
enough spaces around to offer practices like that. And I wanted to create those. So if you can't find a space where you can practice yoga and you are less able or chronically ill, then it is a great opportunity to create your very own version of that as well. So the second question I would normally ask my guests is what practices have been most beneficial in the management of systemic lupus? And I must admit that someone with systemic lupus, especially pre-diagnosis, I was in a lot of pain and experiencing a lot of fatigue. I had a lot of breathlessness because my systemic lupus initially attacked my lungs, then my kidneys. The things that have been most beneficial over the years has been rest. So restorative yoga has been one of the best ones and resting, actively resting, because there is a big difference between resting, restorative yoga and sleeping. Sometimes the sleep would be awful. While with restorative yoga, with the clever use of props and full support, I was able to let go and relax. Ultimately rest, rest a little bit more than I did when I was sleeping because sleeping sometimes is not restful. And people who are chronically ill may understand that. But yes, restorative yoga was one of the best things that I could learn to do. And it is one of the most effective practices in the management of systemic lupus. The second one was meditation. I found myself incredibly angry, impatient and all those sorts of things that come with uh, chronic illness. A lot of people feel these emotions, these frustrations and anger, this fear because there is uncertainty that is associated with a condition. You do not know whether you're going to be well or unwell. So meditating has been incredible in simply resetting my day. So visualizing a good quality and how my day could be if I were to have that quality in abundance within me has been one of the most beneficial practices as well. And of course, the practice of asana, dynamic practices are in fact the best for me because I felt that moving in and out of a pose helped me develop strength, help me feel better in my body. I'm also quite hypermobile. And what you find is that people who have systemic lupus or fibromyalgia may also have a certain degree of hypermobility, maybe not in every joint, but in quite a lot of their joints. So moving in and out of a pose rather than holding a pose keeps you within that healthy range of movement without overextending joint or stressing the muscles in a way that you shouldn't and it was really helpful to do that what I also found very beneficial as well was that practicing supported yin where the joints which were overly mobile were supported by rolled up blankets or blocks or pillows etc was incredibly beneficial. That stillness in the mind, that stillness in the pose created this 
peaceful feeling in my body and in my mind. And I found supported yin incredibly helpful too. So just to summarize what I found incredibly beneficial in the management of systemic lupus was restorative yoga for the resting aspect, meditation for pretty much setting up my day to be a little bit better, dynamic practices, so moving in and out of the pose, which helped me keep the poses within a healthy range of movement and supported yin was one of the most beneficial ones as well. I really enjoyed practicing supported yin. So the other thing I would ask my guests, of course, is what tips would they have for people living with systemic lupus to share with us? And in fact, I wrote an article for Om Yoga magazine in support of students living with systemic lupus. So go and find it on omyogamagazine.com. And in there, I give you quite a fair bit of tips for teaching yoga to people with systemic lupus or in fact, chronically ill. And a lot of those tips came from the Chair Yoga Handbook, which is out on sale on my website and on Amazon at the moment. So I'm going to go through them now, which uh, are basically offer plenty of adaptation in the practice and encourage students to be agents of their own body. What that means is giving them choice. Do they want to sit it out? Normalize that also. Do they want to practice dynamically and move in and out of the pose or wriggle within it? That's absolutely fine. So use the kind of language that allows them, that helps them feel okay about trying something else in that pose and not call them out if they're doing something else and help them be agents, help them have that choice, offer the adaptation and help them choose. You're only facilitating yoga classes for people with systemic lupus, help them choose what is a more suitable, a more nourishing way of practicing. Offer rest throughout the practice and normalize sitting it out. Absolutely. The the vinyasa classes, in fact, I was going to would ask you to either do a vinyasa or take a breath. And I would always pretty much choose take a breath. And that felt really good because it was also a time for me to breathe and reflect on the pose that has just been. A lot of people think shaking it off, a vinyasa, allows this opportunity to reset and shake off the pose and go into the another one. And there is a very good argument to be made there. But I felt that also reflecting on what was happening in my body was as beneficial as doing sun salutation and then settling into the next pose. So yes, offering rest throughout the practice and normalize sitting it out which offers plenty of opportunity to reflect. Election is a really, really big part of yoga and yogasana, and we should appreciate it as much as the poses. I've written down that it says, acknowledge the student's presence, especially if they have not been around for some time. And that is so true. I was away for three months at a time sometimes. 12 weeks was pretty much average, in fact, or more. And... Having someone to greet me and saying, oh, you're back. Welcome back. How are you feeling? 
was really nice. It was, it meant something to me. If someone in that room acknowledges your presence, have someone that has noticed that you haven't been around, is a really, really nice thing to do. And it offers so much support with that, so much confidence, shall we say, to continue. It takes a lot of courage to go back into spaces you haven't been for some time. And some people will ask, why haven't you been around? And to maybe explain yourself sometimes. But having people acknowledge that has been really good because as I said it takes a fair bit of courage to get back to the spaces and knowing that people would welcome you the same way that they would before you stopped attending the classes is really nice. If you're lucky enough to teach a group of people who live with systemic lupus or are chronically awesome, as I say, instead of chronically ill, or are chronically awesome, encourage interactions amongst those people. Their experiences are different, but these shared experiences normalize how they're feeling. There is a likelihood that they will see a lot of what they are experiencing in another person. It isn't nice to know that somebody else is suffering the same way as you, but it is nice to know that you're not alone in this. And these interactions are vital because it normally would spark strong friendships over the years. I want to, I want you also as a yoga teacher to learn more about yoga yourself adaptation in the practice of yoga and not just of the poses but the language that you use is as important as adaptation of the poses it is in the language that you are providing space for people to explore rather than just practice what you tell them we as yoga teachers have to move away from this classroom environment it is not a school classroom it isn't a primary school or a high school classroom in no shape or form and we shouldn't treat it as such we are facilitators we are not really teachers yes we're leading the practice but we are actually fellow practitioners and while keeping that in mind there is a likelihood that the person that is sitting across the mat will know more about their body and how they want to practice yoga so facilitating yoga and using the language that allows exploration in the practice of yoga asana is very important. And of course, offer always relaxation. That's the last tip I have to give about Qing yoga teachers. Offer lots and lots of relaxation. This is really important in the management of any chronic condition because your body is likely to be stuck in this stress response and there is a good chance that those people are also taking immunosuppressants medication that is pretty toxic to the body acknowledge that their body may be stuck in a stress response and therefore we want to interrupt that trans stress response before it affects their sleep at night it was quite funny when i was doing the restorative yoga teacher training part of that was to practice restorative yoga ourselves and we were given the option of practicing one hour a week 
I think it was for 12 plus weeks at least, and we could split it up whichever way we wanted to. So if you think it is 60 minutes, then you can easily say that I will be practicing 10 minutes of restorative yoga a day. And setting myself up, keeping a diary about it, how does it feel, etc. So keeping that in mind, I had the opportunity to practice for 10-15 minutes a day, every day. And I chose to do it in the one free time that I had every day of the week. And that was around 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Doing so allowed me to see a huge amount of improvement in my sleep patterns. And I am convinced that is because the practice was done pretty much in the middle of the day when I was feeling at the lowest part of energy and I would offer myself this option to rest and interrupt that stress cycle from maybe delivering yoga classes or going from one place to the other or before I picked up my son and continued with my day. All those things really helped. And those 10 minutes really helped in me feeling more relaxed for the rest of the day, more energized to a degree, but without this hyper feeling of having a cup of coffee or an espresso in the middle of the afternoon. But I, what I noticed at the end of those weeks, of those 12 weeks before we handed in our assignments was this sense of wellness. I was sleeping well, I was eating well, I was more able to deal with my day and I think it was specifically because the stress patterns that are developed throughout the day, whether you're chronically ill or not, were interrupted and reset in that practice in those 10 minutes of restorative yoga. It proved to me that relaxation is a vital part in the management of systemic lupus and that people with systemic lupus are indeed stuck in that stress response. And practicing restorative yoga, knowing how to do it yourself as well at home, is a really important aspect of maintaining good health because sleep is vital to health. A good mood is vital to health. Feeling good about ourselves is vital to health. So it almost reset all those from the point where you were frustrated and fed up and maybe hitting a wall to feeling refreshed and ready to go again. The one thing I haven't really touched upon is the role of chair yoga in the practice of yoga asana for people with systemic lupus and the one thing I have to say is that I didn't even know about chair yoga when I was really unwell and I wish I did because it would have meant that I would be able to continue my practice in a more gentler fashion when I was anemic and I couldn't really bend forward or do a vinyasa in fact. The practice of chair or the use of the chair in the practice of yoga asana would have, in fact, allowed me to continue practicing yoga asana. And that's important. The chair is a wonderful prop to have in your classes for all the time somebody is not feeling quite right. And as an additional prop, it would have offered more options to practice yoga. 
the most beneficial poses that I have found practicing using the chair has been a floating moon, reverse triangle is another one that I really enjoy doing using the chair and um, pyramid is the other one that I have found incredibly beneficial practicing using the chair. I may have also found that the down dog would have been incredible on the chair as well as a forward bend rather than quite an active forward bend and inversion in fact. So yes it would have allowed the chair would have allowed for me to continue practicing yoga. So the final question that I would normally ask my guests is where can we find you and sharing the handles and website. So you can find me at yuvayoga.co.uk, which you have probably done so already. And my social media handles is at yuvayoga.uk. And I will put those in the description of the podcast as well. And yes, that's everything I wanted to say in this special episode about yoga for systemic lupus. The takeaway from this discussion is to receive additional training. If you're a yoga teacher, receive additional training in order to be able to offer various options, including chair-based options in your classes. If you are chronically ill yourself, then start attending some chair yoga classes. They're not just for the older and less mobile population, trust me on that. It will allow you to learn about practicing yoga at the worst times of your flares. It will allow you to continue attending a class and maybe being sociable with the people that are attending the same class as you. And trust me, it will be beneficial to you and your well-being. Thank you so much for listening. The Chair Yoga Podcast is sponsored by the Chair Yoga Handbook. You can get your copy now from Amazon or my website.